Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced from the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support. The new Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart-healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the first time. <sighs> visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites 
according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. The reality we live in can be a very strange place. Most of the time, fact being stranger than fiction. How will we ever start to understand this reality we live in unless we question everything? Join me and a guest as we unravel the mysteries of this reality one topic at a time. This is Increase the Reality with Shane Jones. Welcome, Inquirers, to the open-minded talk show that is Inquiries of Our Reality. I'm your connoisseur of peculiar conversation, Shane Jones, as always. And in today's conversation, we dive into the more scientific side of bizarre phenomenon, from remote viewing to the possibility of how other beings exist around us. This one goes deep with lots of twists and turns, so hold on tight as we fall down many intersecting rabbit holes. But before we get into this awesome conversation today course, got to do the front of house and news and updates. Uh, For anybody that isn't already aware of the giveaway that's going on, it's only going on for another couple days. It's actually ending the end of this week. So if anybody's interested in possibly picking yourself up a Increase of Our Reality t-shirt or a Bizarre Encounters t-shirt, make sure you guys check it out on social media and make sure you guys get your entries in ASAP before it's all all over and you guys will have to wait for the next giveaway. And if you guys want a little bit more with the giveaway, you guys can always go and join the Patreon. There is an exclusive Patreon giveaway that's happening happening over there. Uh, You get a t-shirt and there's a little bit of extra goodies beyond that. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, of course, definitely go and check that out before that one's over. And just like the social media giveaway, you guys are going to have to wait for the next Patreon exclusive giveaway too. And just keeping some more news and updates going, uh, if anybody wants to submit any questions for the new show that Orn and I are working on called Bizarre Inquiries, uh, we're going to be having some open conversation, usually about 10 to 15 minutes or so, uh, about any questions that you guys might want to throw at us. Uh, They can be serious, they can be funny, they can be whatever. Uh, If they seem like they'd be a lot of fun to talk about, we're going to pick it up, give you guys a shout out, of course, for throwing the question, and have an open discussion about it. And I mean, from goofy to serious, as in, you know, you could ask, uh, if this cryptid fought this cryptid, who would win? And, you know, we can definitely discuss that and try to figure out who'd win in that hierarchy. And it can also be something more serious. Like what if an invasion happened tomorrow, for example, uh, we can talk about what we believe might actually end up coming from that. So anybody that wants to include some questions, make sure you hit me up on social media, shoot me your questions over. And this will be going on from now on. So if anybody at any point has anything that they'd like to have us discuss, uh, throw it at me and we will definitely talk about it on the show and give you guys a shout out for for it. And uh, moving on to the front of house stuff, if you aren't already checking out the show on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, TikTok, or Discord, highly recommend that you do. The Discord is continuously updating, trying to make it better and better, and there's a lot more going on in there. So anybody that wants to pop in and have some conversation with us, I would definitely appreciate it. 
And uh, if anybody's interested in being a guest on the show or having me as a guest on your show, or if you're interested in sponsoring the show in some way, shape, or form, uh, you guys can get a hold of me through email or through social media. If you guys want to do email, it's increase of our reality podcast at outlook.com, or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email, of course. And if anybody would like to report an encounter, be it UFO, paranormal, extraterrestrial, a cryptid encounter, uh, bizarre anomalies happening, you guys can always shoot me an email at OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com, or you can go to the link tree, and it should be about the third tab down. There's a tab that says report an encounter. Uh, that will be the submission form that will go directly to that email, of course. So if anybody has anything at all, don't be afraid to submit it. And uh, we can talk about it a little bit more after you shoot me a message. Uh, maybe you could potentially be a guest on the show, or maybe I'll potentially uh, feature you in the books that I'm working on. Or if you just want to share the encounter in general, I'd still absolutely love to hear it. We can keep it completely between us. Or if you're somewhere in the area that's somewhat close to me or somewhere that I can drive to, uh, I can always come and investigate it if you guys are interested in having that done. But the only way that'll happen, of course, is if you guys report your encounters. And uh, speaking of encounters, if you guys aren't already checking out Bizarre Encounters, I highly recommend that you do. It's my other show that I do with my awesome co-host, Oren, where we deep dive into anything that would be considered uh, a bizarre encounter. And we also have some people come on and we interview them. Uh, sometimes they're researchers, sometimes they're authors, sometimes they're experiencers. So if that sounds like something that might interest you, definitely go and check that show out also. But I think if you guys enjoyed this show, you guys will definitely enjoy that show too. And if you guys want to keep tabs on everything that I'm doing all in one place, don't forget to go and follow Open Minds Media across social media. And as far as the YouTube, TikTok, and Discord go, that's all under Open Minds Media so that I can accompany everything all into one place. So if you guys see Open Minds Media, it's me. And it's either pertaining to Increase Our Reality and Bizarre Encounters all at the same time, of course. And uh, if anybody would like to support the show, there's a couple different ways to do so. Number one is joining the Patreon. And there you'll get things such as ad-free episodes, early access to the show, lives of the show, live replays of the show, uh, exclusive giveaways, exclusive merch store discounts, and uh, a lot more. Uh, definitely go and check out the tiers, figure out which one might suit you the best and uh, support a show. And uh, if anybody wants to donate to the show directly, you guys can do so through Cash App, Venmo, PayPal, or Red Circle, which is the RSS host for the show. And if you guys donate anything, uh, shoot me a message. Let me know what you guys donated because, of course, I'd love to give you a shout out in the show. And as I always say, give appreciation where appreciations do. And the third way you guys can support the show is through checking out the Open Minds Media merch store. And if you go and become a Patreon member first, you'll get exclusive discounts for that merch store. Uh, but there you'll find stuff for Inquiries of Our Reality, Bizarre Encounters, and the other cryptid and other random designs that I've been working on. Uh, there's going to be a lot more building up as far as that stuff goes. So if there's anything you guys would like to see as far as the merch store goes, let me know and I can definitely coordinate it in. I'm always open to suggestions, but... Uh, the fourth way you guys can support the show is through, of course, sharing the show through word of mouth. It's a good way to continuously help the show to grow. Or you guys can always leave a review or a rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify if you guys really enjoy the show. It's an awesome way to make it so that more people are able to see the show and it makes the algorithm push the show closer to the tops of the charts. But if you guys don't want to do that, uh, I just appreciate you guys listening in general. So don't feel like you guys have to do it. But if you do, I definitely more than appreciate it. And uh, while we're talking about supporting people, you guys can always go and check out Joe over there at Crypto Theology. As I say always, he kills it with his cryptid-related merch designs. I mean, 90% of my wardrobe is his merchandise because out of everybody that I've seen that's doing cryptid merch, Joe is uh, definitely my absolute favorite. And to all my paranormal investigators out there, if you guys want to get yourself an all-in-one paranormal investigation device, don't forget to go and check out the Chattergeist. Uh, it's made by Dimension Devices. Barry is the one who programs it and also runs the Instagram page. So if you guys have any technical questions pertaining to that, you guys can always shoot 
him a message directly. And in a timely manner, I'm sure he'll end up replying to any of the questions you guys might have pertaining to it. And uh, if you guys are interested in picking that up, don't forget to use my affiliate link. Uh, it'll definitely help out the show, makes it so that I can have a little bit more funding to continuously grow the show and be able to get out to more events to hopefully be able to meet you guys. So definitely go and check it out. And don't forget to use that affiliate link. And it would mean the absolute world to me if you guys did. And uh, everything that I mentioned, of course, is all available on the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that, let's get into the show. Please welcome to the show, Dr. Simeon Hine. How is it going today? Hey, how are you doing, Shane? Thanks for having me here. Not too bad. Glad uh, we were able to coordinate this and make it work. I uh, heard you on Jeff's show, actually, on Strangeology, and was completely fascinated by the conversation. And I figured it'd be fun to have you on the show and uh, get into some of the interesting stuff that you dive into. Sure, yeah. So uh, for anybody that might not be familiar with who you are and what you do, uh, why don't you let them know a little bit about yourself and uh, what exactly you do? Well, um, I used to be a sociology you know, instructor. I taught statistics. That's what my PhD is in. Um, I got involved in remote viewing in 1996. Uh, just hearing about it, you know, on the radio, I got kind of curious. And I was wondering, um, you know, was it true that average people had some sort of innate psychic clairvoyant ability? So I took a course and that led to you know, meeting people who had worked in different programs in the government, NASA, it kind of opened up a lot of doors to a lot of different topics that we normally are not exposed to by our mainstream institutions. It's like there's a whole nother uh, area of reality that we're not really well versed in publicly, but I think we're getting better at it through podcasts like this. Um, And some of the books I've written recently about this, my first book was Opening Minds, which was about remote viewing and crop circles, since that was a crop circle target. And I ended up going over to the UK and going back there like 20 times because of all the strange things we'd see around crop circles and so forth. You know, orbs and and strange luminous anomalies, even ones that were definitely man-made where I was there and got to go out with the teams, strange things would happen cases of clairvoyance in crop circles. So, you know, it got me seeing that there was another set of principles that make our reality work that I had never been taught about. I mean, there's no reason why a wheat field would make your camera, cameras and batteries stop working, but I've seen that many times. And uh, eventually that leads you to meeting Bigfoot witnesses who come <laughs> to your remote viewing classes. And so my most recent book, about a year old, is Dark Matter Monsters, Cryptids, Ball Lightning, and the Science of Secret Life Forms, which I'm happy to say for over a year has been in like the top 10, top 5 in electromagnetism on Amazon. That's awesome. Uh, It's the only Bigfoot book in electromagnetism in the top 100. It's the best-ranked Bigfoot book and the only Bigfoot book in (laughs) electromagnetism, electromagnetic theory, And in Dark Matter Monsters, I present my idea that there are life forms that are based on different types of matter than we are normally used to, uh, more uh, akin to plasmas and ball lightning and and that sort of thing. So so that's really what my interests are, is what propels these phenomena that mainstream science refuses to engage in very hesitatingly. 
including UFOs uh, and topics like that. My previous book, by the way, was uh, Black Swan Ghosts. Uh, just about all these u- witnesses I met, I'm not looking for them. You just meet them in remote viewing classes, in, in crop circles, and UFO conferences, people who've worked in the government, people who know about these topics. And I put together a book of those sorts of people who told me they were 100% sure that they were dealing with extraterrestrial materials, um, whatever you want to call that. I guess the buzzword now is NHI, non-human intelligence. So anyway, Shane, this is a big topic. For me, it started with remote viewing or maybe that Bigfoot trailer I saw in the 70s <laughs> for a movie. There was a Bigfoot trailer. Oh, that was uh, The Legend of Boggy Creek, right? No, no, it was this... It, I haven't seen that one. This I know about that movie, though. I mean, no, no, this was like a mockument, like a mockumentary documentary that was a trailer to a Billy Jack film that my brother and I had gone to see. And it was... Bigfoot update from the Northwest. And it was like a document. It was like a pretend documentary to go out in the forest in the logging area. And like, it was like a news crew and you could tell it had been sort of staged, but they played the Patterson Gimlin film in this short 10, 15 minute mini news update about Bigfoot. And I think that really got my imagination going as a 14 year old about you know, this is 1973, 74, just a couple of years after Patterson Gimlin. So it would have been 75, 75, six, something like that. Yeah. Anyway, that's how I got involved in these topics. And, you know, uh, this is the logical outcome of going to graduate school. I was on a debate team in high school is you pursue the truth. You know, you pursue the evidence. People want to know why I do this. It's because the evidence is there. And our job is to at least people like me who've had some academic training. I mean, your job is to tell the truth based on the data, not to shape it the way you want it to be. You, you, you talk to witnesses, you look at their reports, you look at what has been written, what has not been written, and you make your best assessment. My assessment is there's a lot of topics that I'm sure you deal with on this show where there's a lot of evidence for some weird reason the paranormal aspect is why we don't want to talk about it. That's what's paranormal to me. It's not the phenomena. It's our weird reaction to these topics, to make fun of them, to ridicule witnesses, to deny it. But, of course, sociologists are used to this. We call it hidden events. It's things that society experiences and just, oh, I don't want to deal with that. And we're dealing with that with these types of topics. Oh, yeah, for sure. Say people tend to... Uh I don't know necessarily if it's people are scared of like the spiritual concept of things, but just because of the way society's progressed, it seems like a lot more people want to try to view everything from a scientific aspect when there's a lot of stuff that isn't quite explained scientifically yet, but it's just a matter of time before we have an understanding behind it. And then there's a lot of things that turn out as that start off as woo woo concepts and then end up turning into an actual legitimate science. And then after that, people are more than happy to hop on the bandwagon with everything. But uh, you have so much research. I'd love to dive in a little bit into each little portion of it. And uh, I think a really kind of interesting place to start for a lot of the people. uh, I'm sure there's a lot of people that believe in these concepts no matter what. But the people that may be a little bit more on the fence about it and they want to hear stuff from the scientific aspect, uh, I guess kind of running through the gambit starting from the beginning. uh, What's kind of like your perspective as far as like uh, remote viewing goes? Like what's what's like the science behind it as far as uh, your research goes? Uh, The science behind it is that 
you know, this in our country, the, the Russian Soviet Union had vast numbers of programs in this, I think, at least 20 different institutes at one point. Um, and uh, the people in their remote viewing programs had come out of their classified aerospace research. These were serious scientists and engineers. The, the Russians took it seriously enough, realizing this could be a form of you know, psychic warfare, espionage. And you had China, I think, had five institutes devoted to studying people with these abilities. Now, those China and the Soviet Union would pick people that from their population that displayed uh, unusual abilities, people that were kind of off the charts. You wouldn't consider them to have average psychic ability. These were people that could do PK. Um, they really could demonstrate uh, Nina Kaligina in Russia <clears throat> who could move objects with her hands. There's videos of that on YouTube with tons of scientists in the audience. You know, they're the ones who set the experiment up. <clears throat> so they took it very seriously. The U S government found out about this in the sixties and then said, well, we have to catch up. We can have a Sputnik moment. We got it. We got it. They got it. We got to have it, you know? So they started their own remote viewing program and through SRI and other institutes. Um, you know, it's not like a monolithic thing where the government is like totally behind this. It's people in various agencies in NASA, DIA, CIA that are curious about this, that might listen to podcasts like this, even though in their other job, day job, they're intelligence officers, you know, but they, they know that, you know, your adversaries are not going to spend millions and millions on this unless there's some advantage to it. So they get interested. They started SRI, Ingo Swan, Pat Price, a whole bunch of Joe McMonagle, they bring these people in, and then they start extending the training to average people. Well, I'd consider myself one of those people who, who didn't think they had psychic ability, but they wanted to test these protocols that Ingo Swan had invented called CRV, Coordinate Remote Viewing, Controlled Remote Viewing. That's what I learned in 1996 at the Farsight Institute in Atlanta, Georgia. And I found that you really got results that you know, were very hard to explain from an ordinary point of view of how we know mechanistic science works. I mean, you would get accurate information about a target picture that was hidden in a folder behind your back there that no one had said anything what was in there, but you'd get the drawings more accurate than you would expect. So I could see, Shane, just from my training in it, that there was another pathway of information that's hidden that your mind was picking up somehow. Uh, was it from the future or 10, 15 minutes into the future when you'd see the picture, wherever it was coming from, you were getting more than you should if you were just guessing. And that's what the government found too. Uh, Jessica Utz, who a uh, statistician from UC Irvine, uh, did a study and said sort of what I'm telling you, you're getting more than you would expect. And sometimes you get these home run hits where the viewer completely accurately describes the target scene target location and activities. Mm -hmm. And then that you could see why that would be interested, interesting to intelligence agencies for those who could be open to this. So there was a lot of opposition to it also, kind of like what you were alluding to a few minutes ago in your comments. I mean, uh, people that were more skeptical, religious, fundamentalists, uh, there was a kind of a blowback against remote viewing, which in, eventually kind of terminated it in 1995. But it wasn't because it didn't work. 
because I've spoken to people in the programs. Uh, it, it worked a lot of the time and a lot more than you expect. It's just that it's hard to justify funding for some of these people in Washington when they have to get reelected every two years or right, four years or six years, you know, depending on their term. And, and politicians are so concerned about reelection that they will not want to delve into controversial topics. Yeah, they don't want to be and tied to it at all. Right, right. So you understand it. So, but my my experience is it works. I, I've been teaching it in Boulder ever since, just because it it opens up these channels in your mind to information. I think it's a very valuable thing. Did, just from your research, at least, did it seem like there was like certain people that would catch on more to it, or was it more so just like a, an ability that anybody could learn? Like, what, what kind of offense did it start to kind of fall towards? Because I know a lot of people kind of view it as only some people have psychic abilities, and then the other half kind of view it as everybody has some type of potential for it. It's just a matter of working it out and kind of figuring it out for yourself. Yeah, um, it does seem some people pick it up faster than others. I think everyone has the ability, but some of us are more trained in our left brains, which is more analytical, logical side of our brain. And it's challenging for some people to go into the flow of an RV session where your only instruction really is not to edit anything out. So you're you're kind of writing stream of consciousness uh, around the particular target. You're just given random numbers. You're not told anything about the target. You could be, but most of the time you're not. And maybe the monitor doesn't know what the target is either. Someone else has hidden it in a folder or maybe a computer selected the target so nobody knows what it is. Uh, and uh, you do get more information. Some people are quite good at it. And some people, uh, I've had some people in my classes, uh, lawyers or cops, who tell me, look, we're, we're trained to pay attention to evidence in front of our eyes. We're not really trained to pay attention to feelings, <laughs> which is what you get during the session. Is this feel- you know, you get these glimpses and feelings and it's very subtle. And so the better remote viewers are people that are good at respecting those impressions they get and writing it down rather than thinking about it too much. Say it's funny the investigative types don't always want to necessarily believe in this stuff, but it's quite frequently you hear about a lot of time they'll use like remote viewers and different types of psychics to try to find like missing people or to try to find remains. And it seems like it works more often than not. And at least as far as like the government type of stuff goes, I feel like it's kind of like a downplay that they can't let anybody realistically know how far developed they really are with the research because then somebody else will start picking up on that research. And that's one of those things you don't want somebody to really get ahead of you on. So you just kind of, you downplay it and they put out movies like, yeah, no, that's, that's, yeah, that's a, that's pretty smart way to look at it too. Let me, let me just, show you some pictures i mean here's like a t- type of target you'd get washington monument and look what the viewer could draw and they, they got this so quickly they said it can't be the washington monument they write down washington monument uh, in the noise column here just because it's showing up there they end up at the lincoln memorial across from the washington monument they're walking around washington dc so this is the sort of thing you see enough of you realize uh this is not guessing it could have been any picture of anything in the world you know, but they get these very accurate, it's a race car, you know, and they draw a race car a rocket, you know, and you start to wonder, how are they doing this? I mean, they, this person could have gotten the Washington Monument, this person could have gotten the rocket, but they really drew what the target picture was. You see this over and over again. I think anyone who's been involved in RV, even double blind. I mean, this is from Opening Mind. A journey of extraordinary encounters, crop circles, and resonance. I mean, look at this. This is double blind. Nobody knew what the target was. I didn't know. I just had a whole, I remember the session. I mean, I, I had a 
stack of targets under the table. I pull one out and put it in the folder, and I don't know what it is. And yet, there's a picture of someone leaping, and there's the drawing. <laughs> now, you wouldn't need much time to match these particular targets I'm showing you. And they're not always this accurate, but when they are, you like wonder. This doesn't just happen once in a thousand times. This happens a lot more than you think. And that, that is defies the odds. As a statistician, to get that accuracy from a double... You can't say they're reading my mind. I don't know what the target is either, but we, yeah, we all look at it and all of a sudden, boom, they just nailed it. And people do this in RV sessions all the time. And if that was like some site-related, if you're a government-related to hostile technology, missiles pointed at you and stuff, and you could walk around the site and get code words, and, you know, get information for almost free because it doesn't really cost you that much except the person's got to eat and, you know, have a place to sleep and drink water, but they can do the session. They just need paper and a pen. It's not a very expensive way to get some very accurate information. So you could see why they'd be interested in it. And, you know, the program kept going for 20 years. There's a great movie about it, by the way. Don't take my word for it. Third Eye Spies. I was even going to mention The Menu Stare at Goats. Uh, they try to downplay it with movies such as that to try to make it seem yeah. like it's a woo-woo concept, but it's... That's like, more fictionalized, but yeah, that's sort of a semi-factual, semi-fictional uh, fictional account. Uh, but Third Eye Spies is a documentary. You can rent it anywhere in Lance Mungia and... Uh, um, Russ, Russell Targ put that together. And uh, that goes through the history and shows you some of these sessions, you know, they really mattered and they discover located things. I mean, missing planes and uh, enemy, you know, research stations and things. It's fascinating. And it's all it's part of the Cold War history. But for the average person, it does seem to open up doorways inside your awareness that you have these abilities you didn't know you had. Not that it's easier to understand how you get that accuracy, but there's something else going on beyond your physical senses. And I think for the average person to start paying attention to that can open doors to other areas in their lives, like it did for me, where you realize there could be things around you that you can't see, but they're there. And that's what RV shows you is there's more going on in your awareness than you're consciously aware of, and it can be quite accurate and practical. practical. Say, I'd love to start diving into some of the stuff that kind of exists around you, because I feel like that's kind of transitioning towards your second book that you had mentioned. Uh, but as far as like remote viewing goes, um, yeah, I've heard of a couple different stories of people going to places that they weren't necessarily supposed to be in remote viewing and somebody becoming like aware that they're there. Uh, as far as like the standard person remote viewing, uh, is that something that becomes normal when you start doing it more often is that you can become aware and see the other people that are doing the same thing? Or is that like a, it's another developed skill where you're able to pick up on other people remote viewing and it's a lot more advanced than like what the average person could do? I don't know how much of those types of incidents happen where you become aware of other people viewing you. That's pretty rare. Uh, because when you're viewing, it's not like you're physically at the site, at least in this CRV system. You're really just passively receiving information like a radio tuner. You're p sort of picking up like you're the radio receiver. You're picking up the signals are there. You're tuning to them. That's more how I look at it. Uh, 
I mean, other people have an idea that it's like astral projection. There's different ideas how it works, but my sense of it is it's more of a receiving tool. It's just making an agreement to receive more than just what's physically in front of you right here. Uh, because you will be shown the feedback from almost all these sessions in when the session's over. So it's, it's in your timeline to get information about this target, which is why you can view it. It doesn't mean you're just seeing the feedback. I mean, people get enough accuracy as if they're walking around this, this site, which is, uh, there's that famous case, in, they, they go into this in Third Eye Spies, where they were, view, they were viewing, well, it was just supposed to be someone's summer cottage in West Virginia, but they ended up viewing this NA, NSA listening station in Sugar, Sugar Grove, West Virginia. And, uh, you know, they, the viewers found it more interesting than the vacation cottage. So it was just like a half a mile away on the other side of a hill. It was right there. And they're just walking around there and they got, they picked up code names. This is a, you know, this is a special access program designed to listen to Soviet satellites as they come overhead. So it, it was a highly classified facility. And so they're getting the names of, you know, one of the guys, Pat Price, said he like smushed his head into a safe and was looking at the file, <laughs> the file names on the folders and classified stuff. And and they, it alarmed the government so much that they sent out, you know, investigators to uh, to Palo Alto to SRI. To, they they thought these people must have flown out there and were sneaking around the site. I mean, they couldn't figure out, and it caused a huge alarm, but they got the funding they were looking for. It proved to the federal government that it worked. So this is sort of what they had to do. But, I mean, it can be that accurate where you can – I'm not saying I can do this or maybe the average person can, but people that are good at this, you could literally read, you know, words off a page. You could think if you're in security within the federal government and your job is, you know, counter – intelligence and so forth you're thinking of ways of securing your sensitive military and intelligence facilities and and somebody could just walk around there and in their mind and pick up i mean you could see what the impact would be so this is why Mm -hmm. i got funded for so long and it's just amazing that it even works that way but what it's suggesting the bigger impact of all this is that there are these interconnections between us and the world around us in the universe that we're not consciously aware of, but we're picking up the information. And it doesn't just even have to be about creepy crawly things like cryptids and disincarnate entities and things, multidimensional beings and stuff. It, it, it Just think about dreaming at night. People occasionally have precognitive dreams where they, they dream about something and it turns out to be accurate. Maybe they'll change their plans. They won't take that flight, stuff like this. I've heard about enough of these cases within the RV community. Well, what's going on there? How is it that when you go into this altered state of consciousness at night that we call sleep, where we spend a third of our lives dreaming, how is it those dreams could be kind of be precognitively accurate? Unless we're tapping into some bigger, uh, as Ingo called it, Ingo saw the matrix, you know, this matrix of energy information that's already there. So it just raises a lot of interesting questions and you start thinking about it seriously, you know, scientifically, like you're saying. 
Oh yeah, for sure. Say, and then it kind of gets into the possibility of maybe we are living in a matrix, like, like you were kind of saying, but more of like an organic simulation. Or if two, if time isn't necessarily linear, if you're possibly experiencing multiple things at once, and it's more so that you maybe just more have like a lens on this particular time uh, that you're existing physically, but maybe your brain, your consciousness is something that doesn't necessarily see time as linear. And it's something beyond us. That's like an interconnecting energy that connects with the planet itself. And I mean, we use like, we, we we're only aware of our different ways of perceiving our reality around us, but that doesn't mean that other physical ways don't exist too. So, you know, thinking about like words on a piece of paper, for example, like we would perceive that as something visual and exclusively only visual, but assumably there probably is some type of like energy to that specific thing that's making it so that in this particular spot, it says this particular word, and we're just not able to necessarily perceive and pick that up unless we are of an elevated consciousness at the time where we can actually pick up on these different energy signals that are coming from things. And I mean, maybe it could be something too, just like how, uh, some, maybe something within like a light spectrum possibly because you hear about like bees for example uh, where they can see like ultraviolet rays and th the flowers will give off an ultraviolet rays to say they want to be pollinated I mean there could be something like that coming from almost every object and it just takes being in the right consciousness to be able to pick up what that piece of inanimate object is actually like putting out into the into the atmosphere in order for outside things to be able to pick it up and perceive it right right that makes a lot of sense yeah we're, we're perceiving more frequencies than we're typically aware of that our bandwidth is more limited than we're aware of and these other states are there maybe they're happening in parallel to this physical reality we see maybe there's a simulation aspect to it also uh we're maybe we're creating this sort of simulation i mean each of us so this is why you might know things ahead of time there's a lot of possibilities uh, there, but it definitely, whatever it is, Shane, it suggests that reality is a lot bigger, a lot bigger mm -hmm. than your mind consciously thinks of it. And to me, that's the best part of RV is just that sense of wonder you get realizing how in the world did I draw that so accurately? And I had no idea. I mean, just your day, it's structured daydreaming, it's like sleep dreaming, but awake dreaming. Not 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 as intense as that. It's like daydreaming, but structure. You're writing things down. To find out that that's super accurate, this sort of wavy, hazy daydreaming state has this super duper accuracy. It's not surprising. Uh, you know, people like me that play guitar, musicians, we're not surprised that that level of subjectivity can be very accurate. But it's not how we're taught in school. We're taught in school that somehow analysis and logic trumps intuition, right? Mm -hmm. But that's what RV shows you the opposite, is that this very subtle perception you're getting could be super-duper accurate. And maybe that's <coughs> that's the, the missing link for some problem or some uh, situation that someone's in or some organization they want some answers. And that it's amazing that that could be that valuable to them. Something to, to you as the viewer just seems like a kind of a type of daydreaming, hazy sort of faint image in your mind. It could turn out to be 100% accurate. It's super paradoxical. And I think artists, musicians, people like that appreciate that because they're already in that world a little bit where you're just amplifying these very subtle feelings, turning them into songs, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. It's just a matter of learning how to perceive them properly. 
I mean, I've often kind of wondered, too, if, like, the flow of time, they always talk about, like, the river of time, if it kind of flows down in this pattern where it's, like, one path leads into five other paths, and while you're living within that, you know, you got your head down, you're trying to row, and you're not really looking up, but if you actually sat and, like, lifted your head up above everything into, like, the haze, you can actually see the paths in which different things could go, and right. that could possibly be why you perceive things early is because when you're in your dream state, you're a little bit more elevated than you typically would be in your normal physical reality so you can almost kind of see these future paths and in turn you can kind of somewhat pick which path you're going to go down and that could even partly kind of explain the deja vu concept too yeah. is that you're able to see these different paths before they're about to happen and in turn you don't realize it but you subconsciously are able to pick a path and protect yourself from danger in a different means than what we normally think of of protecting yourself from danger physically right yeah you're definitely seeing things from a different point of view you're seeing more of the picture at once. So, but uh, I got to ask, of course, because uh, you do do remote viewing. Um, you know, it's it's always a fun question to ask. Have you ever tried to uh, remote view any place that uh, you know may not be necessarily in this physical reality or? maybe not necessarily on this planet. Cause even with the government operations, you heard about them trying to, you know, remote view Mars, remote view the moon, for example. And I don't know specifically what they found. Cause you know, everybody likes to kind of turn those into fish stories, but I still found it fascinating all the same. And I'm just curious if you've had any experience or dug in any research of that. Yeah. I think anyone who's been involved with RV at some point does these types of targets of uh, off planet targets, the moon, Mars, other places in the universe, uh, you know, Ingo Swan even did a book about viewing the moon for some unidentifiable agency. Uh, he called it penetration. This is uh, his book about extraterrestrial uh, telepathic penetration of the earth. Uh, it, it's, it's kind of complex ideas, but he, he was asked to view structures on the moon. And he, you know, got these structures which he felt were not human built. And, and Ingo's a very accurate viewer. The, the thing is, we can't really verify it without, you know, more information. So you never know when you do those targets, Shane. You can't really tell how much of it was your imagination, how much is accurate, like we can with a 3D target on Earth. So there's not as much training value to those targets, but they certainly are fun. And maybe it's accurate. I mean, if you have a viewer that's like accurate 70, 80% of the time, and you're, they're good against these types of pictures I just showed you, ordinary, typical 3D targets, and you give them something on Mars or the moon, I mean, there's no reason why it shouldn't, they shouldn't retain that 70, 80% accuracy when they're viewing other things that you can't verify, but you just simply don't know. So it's, it raises a lot of questions too, but it's certainly fun to do those types of targets and kind of look at the earth from another point of view it seems like it's one of those things that you'd almost have to do like a group experiment and have like 20 people um that maybe you even tell them something along the lines of like we're not going to tell you what anybody else is viewing you're only going to be the person viewing this one thing and get everybody's idea in their mind that they're going to be the only one looking at this potential target and have them all have the same exact 
place without any of them knowing, have them all write down what they saw and then kind of compare the in-between and something that's across the board, across every single one. Maybe that's something that you take into consideration. But if there's just little side trail things, I mean, they might be fascinating all the same, especially if they're, um, you know, somebody has a really high success rate. But, uh, you know, for example, you know, if you try to do this thing and you saw that like five people all claim that they saw this door that was in the side of like a cave for ex- or in the side of a um, like a cavern or something, for example, um, you know, maybe there is something to that at that point um, because it kind of brings some consistency to it. But I mean, realistically, I feel like the only way to really do the those types of viewings would almost be in like a group setting where you're not having one specific person do it because then it's, you don't really know for sure. You could be right on target or you could be completely off and you'd have no idea. Yeah. There's different ways to deal with these situations. You can have multiple people view it and so forth. That doesn't guarantee it's more accurate, but you do get more sessions that way because people can latch into each other's stories too. So, um, but yeah, you have this idea. You wouldn't tell them ahead of time that other people are viewing it, and I'm sure this is done this way. You know, with real, real world projects, it's just. Uh, I, I think it's a lot of fun. RVs is mainly fun to sh- just to see that you're more than your physical senses. That's for sure, and that's always an amazing thing to see. And then I think there's a practical aspect, which is what people tell me who've been through my classes or other types of training about RV. They, they feel like they pay attention more to their gut feelings and intuitions, which can be very helpful. Oh, yeah. I mean, even just in regular day life, um, people that follow their gut, it seems like more often than not, it's always correct. And I mean, I'm personally one of those people that if I get like a bad impression from somebody, uh, I always follow my gut on that. And it always ends up bleeding that maybe a month or two down the line, something will happen with that person. It's just like, I'm glad that I that I kind of followed my gut on that one. And I think that's one of those yeah. senses that we were definitely in tune with at one point. But as everything progressed with technology, we started getting more focused on all the, all the stuff that's in front of us, we stopped paying attention to those senses because they weren't necessarily needed to survive. And now it's more so about trying to, I guess, read somebody using like psychology um, for the average person more so than it is just trusting a gut feeling about like a specific person or a certain situation now. Right. No, I think that's true. Um, yeah. Yeah. We've have a lot of influence of technology now. Um, and you know, there's advantages and disadvantages. I mean, we can converse like this, have an audience learn. We can learn in new ways. It's really accelerated how fast we can learn about new topics. Blessing and a curse all at once. Yeah, it's a blessing. And then there's so much disinformation and information overload, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which leads to kind of a feeling of being depleted and, uh, tired just from too much information it's only so much your brain can handle every day you know there's a limit to the information processing i mean beyond a certain point you won't remember it that's what happens if you have too much information it it, it takes time sleep has something to do with that with embedding short-term memory into medium-term long-term so forth so it's yeah blessing curses both and um, we wouldn't be able to do this without this technology at the same time we're sort of cut off from nature, from the way that we live in the West, so that we don't, we're not aware of these senses, and we you know we have to take courses in remote viewing to remember something that we've already you know we're already born with. So yeah, yeah, it's like refreshing it at that point. 
And uh, I'd love to kind of start transitioning over to uh, where you started connecting into like Sasquatch, for example, and other different types of entities. Because, I mean, at least as far as remote viewing goes, I've heard a lot of uh, theories as far as Sasquatch goes uh, that they kind of like had this people have claimed to have seen them where they like compress themselves into the ball of light. And that's where they kind of get the idea of like where a lot of these orbs are seen around Sasquatch. But right. uh, at least as far as your research goes, I'd love to see like how it all kind of connected for you and where you're sitting at as far as like the whole Sasquatch phenomenon. Yeah. It's, you know, these topics take years to process. Uh, it's amazing. We make any progress at all during our lives, given how much we have to do every day to exist and survive, you know, as modern people. Um, but yeah, the information for me just slowly built up. I mean, I initially uh, heard about Sasquatch at UFO conferences. Inevitably, these UFO conferences, and International UFO Congress, I I'd go to a lot of these just out of curiosity from the RV experience. And um, you would hear one maybe one Bigfoot presentation per conference. And it was always sort of curious, you know, why are they putting these primates, these relic primates, these rare wood apes into a UFO conference? <laughs> What's the connection there? And then you'd run into witnesses there and they'd say, hey, you know, my aunt, you know, got thrown off a horse. Well, you know, she was younger and something, she went unconsciously big and Harry picked her up brought her to safety, things like this. You hear these stories and you don't know what to do with it. I, I heard these from my own remote viewing students who were natives of Colorado. I can think of five cases where they would say they had seen Sasquatch. Um, people who grew up here or had some weird telepathic experience, kind of like RV, it was sort of projected in their mind and then they'd see it a few minutes later, stuff like this. Uh, some of the incidents were kind of scary on people being pulled out of their tents in the middle of the night by something with a huge amount of strength. And I'm not, I'm not talking about just a person pulling your sleeping bag, like a jet ski force pulling you out of the out of the tent. So you hear all these stories, and you know, like, I do like Stanton Friedman, you know, the UFO investigator. It's like you put it in your gray box because you're not sure what to make of this. It's like I, where I went to graduate school at Washington State University. I was in the sociology department. Upstairs was anthropology, fourth floor. The Grover Krantz was upstairs while I was a grad student, one of the first academics to study Bigfoot, get plaster cast from the Blue Mountains and the surrounding area in the Palouse. Um, and I knew people that knew him, but at the time it wasn't on my radar as a serious topic. I mean, because I had heard perhaps uh, just – this idea it was a you know it was a cryptid basically like some rare animal like not something paranormal it's like some sort of you know type of relic primate that had survived longer and was somehow still in North America but very rare so you would think well okay maybe it exists but I'll probably never see it and it's just like a big rare ape until you know for from in north america until you realize that story doesn't make any sense because you start talking to more witnesses uh there's a sasquatch outpost museum in bailey colorado not far from here i mean just going there uh, i mean i'll tell you this topic came on me so suddenly in 2019 i taught a remote viewing class i had four women in the class they suggested we go to the sasquatch outpost for a field trip and i said i didn't want to go <laughs> okay this is how much i've changed since 2019 because I just thought, oh, it's, you know, some rare 
ape at some dusty old museum and all the, you know maybe the loggers and the miners used to see them and they're you know but that's not what it turned out to be i went to the sasquatch outpost and there was the map of all the sightings in this area the footprints the wood knocking sounds and there were a lot of them right around bowler one was just in a park just a couple miles from where I'm, i am right now and i started thinking well maybe this people are having these experiences and not talking about it so i went to a conference up there and i met a guy named igor burtsev a russian researcher who had been in in the in researching for 50 years he started out in political science that's where his phd was and i couldn't believe what he was saying in his presentation because he said the same thing they thought it was a relic primate uh gigantopithecus or something which grover Krantz just off the top of his head suggested you know some ape that existed a couple hundred thousand years ago in china they just found the jaw of it and they estimated the size from that but then he said but but th there was too much going on with Sasquatch. Like it, it, they could speak rudimentary Russian or hear English. They could do things that seemed intelligent, mimicry, and they they, they thought maybe it was some sort of relic human, like a relative of Homo sapiens that survived the ice ages or something. But he but talking to all their witnesses in in. Soviet Union, they came to the conclusion there was a paranormal aspect to it because of the invisibility factor, that the Sasquatch could disappear in front of witnesses' eyes. The orbs, like you mentioned, uh, strange electromagnetic effects. So they concluded it was some... And, and, and in Russia, they called it hominology. I mean, it was a serious subject. You could study this respectively, respectfully, not not be subject to ostracism and ridicule like you would in the U.S. if you were taking it seriously. But he said they concluded it was some sort of paranormal human. And the more people I listened to, people who had been involved with this for a while, the more there was crossover for me with, with another topic that I was familiar with, crop circles, just because I had gone into a lot of these crop circles, whether, whether we didn't know who made them or they're man-made, it didn't matter that our batteries and cameras would conk out. And I talked to Igor and, and I found out other people, Ron Moorhead, Sierra Sounds, they would have weird camera and battery effects. And this was endemic in Bigfoot researchers. You got, so I'm thinking, oh, wait a minute. There's no way an ordinary mammal is going to affect cameras and batteries uh, if it's just some sort of rare primate. I mean, that doesn't make sense. This is something else. Like Birdside was telling us, there was a paranormal aspect to it. So the more I looked into it, the more I saw that witnesses were typically not reporting their encounters. I started reading as much as I could about it. And it suddenly became very strange very quickly because you would hear about these encounters and there were telepathic aspects to it. There were these sort of psychokinesis aspects where things might float or move around when the Sasquatch were close. Um, their ability to do kind of this mind speak and then this brain fog. And then people would say their iPhones or cameras stopped working immediately. They couldn't take pictures. Cars stalling. This is what you get around UFOs. So then you're starting to think, wait a minute, this is another type of electromagnetism which I understood just informally as a kid that used to build electronic kits with my paper route money. <laughs> and I knew how electronics would work because I had assembled component by component soldering resistors and capacitors to circuit boards from Heathkit. 
I knew how electronics were supposed to work and built my own radios and little controllers and stuff like this. There's nothing burning out suddenly like that unless a lot of voltage went into that battery, a lot of current. Uh, and so uh, I thought, well, why is that happening around Bigfoot and crop circles and UFOs, right? And even in some cases, remote viewing. The only explanation that for me makes sense is that we're dealing with another type of matter. And it's not surprising to sociologists that people do not have an accurate view of reality because we tend to toe the line and want to be accepted by the rest of society, right? So we temper our beliefs to fit in. And this is true from meteorites back in the 1800s. They they declared them illegal. The French Academy of Sciences said they were peasant hoaxes. Meteorites. (laughs) Because... The belief at the time was there were no no movement in the sky beyond the moon. So there wasn't anything falling. There was nothing there to fall. It was a vacuum space. There wasn't anything out there. Because they were going on Aristotle's ideas where he says nothing's beyond the moon. That moves. So if meteorites could be so completely misunderstood and thought of as, you know, volcano stones or something with an ordinary explanation. And you've seen this throughout human history then it's, it's, it seems very obvious we could completely misunderstand what's around us right now, and we could be around these sort of paranormal humans uh, and not even know it because your neighbors and friends and relatives aren't going to talk about it. One of the reasons is the encounters leave them feeling dazed and confused, uh, just like the Led Zeppelin song. <laughs> I mean, they, they're really confused after their encounter. They don't know what's happened. They, there's missing time, just like you get around UFOs. People like lose consciousness and come to a couple hours later not knowing what happened. Um, and sometimes the creatures are still around. It's like they have this ability to project you know, whatever it is, infrasound or, or frequencies, or you know, have some impact on you. And then there's all the strange orbs luminous phenomena that people see around them even uh, uh, emerging from there's a, I'll just say right now I'm I was part of this new film that just came out a couple of weeks ago called A Flash of Beauty Paranormal Bigfoot and it's on Vimeo right now but it'll soon be on the other video platforms and and that's all about these witness encounters where there's mind speak orbs even the the more you look into it, the stranger it gets, but the more you it to me becomes believable because you know how much people distort reality to avoid ostracism. Uh, morphine into other types of animals. Oh yeah, for you, sure. You, you hear this repeatedly, and eventually the first time you hear this, Shane, you're gonna think, if you're like me, you're like, really? I mean, I could see UFOs landing and stuff, but I mean Bigfoot turning into a deer or something. But you you know, I've just spoken to witnesses in the past uh, week uh, I've heard cases of this I, I've been to five Bigfoot conferences since June all over the Northwest you know Forks Washington there was a mystery Montana mystery conference Kalispell Montana a whole bunch uh, Vernal Phenomicon I've been to Yakima and uh, Medellin Falls Washington and you know I talked to witnesses I, I would just talk to people there. I mean how else are you going to get information people would say they've seen them disappear in front of their eyes invisibility just like i heard from igor Burtsev a couple of years ago so there's this repeatability of evidence and bas- basically you come to the conclusion that th- this is not or this is not type of folklore 
or legend or myth. This is actually happening. We're creating legends and myths around us because it's a little easier to process that way if you consider it to be urban folklore or modern folklore, right? It, it, it's like not quite so threatening. Mm-hmm. But that's a defense mechanism because yep. some of these people are really frightened from these encounters. I've spoken to them now. Not all these Bigfoot encounters are friendly. Some of them, they rescue people. They rescue kids out of streams and, you know, a lot of stories like this. Cars, pull, pull them back on the road, uh, take people who have been injured in the woods and feed them and, and bring them back to, down the trail of safety. I've heard many of these cases now, but there's cases where it's really scary and the people wish they had never gone on that hiking trip. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line. Or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? 
Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And I've spoken to enough people who've given up hiking and camping completely. It's even happened to friends of mine who initially just sort of ridiculed me while I was working on this book, thinking I was off on tall tales, only to encounter it themselves very close up. And it's it's shocking and traumatizing. First, you don't think it's true. And then there's this feeling you could have been physically injured. Um, it's not always like this, but sometimes there's this feeling like that's one of the possible outcomes of your encounter. And there's people who are just like run as fast as they can to get out of their back to their car. People who've had their cars damaged by Bigfoot and Sasquatch. I, I don't know why exactly. The Sasquatch have tempers. And so when you look at all the evidence and you read as much as you can and look at their linguistic ability, they can speak multiple, you know, languages. I mean, they can speak our languages passably enough to trick you into thinking it's one of your relatives or something out there. This is some something related to humans. This is a type of creature related to humans, but it they have these abilities that w- we don't know we have, or maybe we have to take remote viewing classes. You know what I'm saying? They have ability to project energy to influence your mind and to physically move at speeds, which defy your imagination. I mean, people describe them moving from like still in front of you to moving like a jet. Uh, not 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 like a car taking off quickly, like a jet. <laughs> That's what they describe it like. Sometimes it can, the Sasquatch can look like a spider walking on all fours, and you know, kind of like Scooby Doo. I've even heard of them going straight up cliffs too, like climbing straight, straight up, up, like no issue yeah. at all. So you know about this, yeah. So, so that when you look at all of their abilities, and you finally realize there's too many people talking about this for this to be made up. Native Americans going way back, modern people. This is a hidden classic sociological hidden event. People are experiencing this. They're they, so often they say when you read these accounts, 
they were they just didn't want to even remember it again. They hoped they erased the photos. They threw the they did not think about it again. They were so afraid of being laughed at. And sometimes people people are laughed at by close friends. It causes friendships to break up. It's so reality changing. It causes friendships to end. I've know several cases now where friends never talked again. They didn't even want to think about it. One person was open to it. The other person said, you know, I'm going to have a reputation. You know, you get, you get the idea. Oh, yeah. I and hear that regularly on the show. <laughs> You've had those types of people on the show. Oh, yeah. Regularly where they'll have like one other person that experiences it with them and they never want to talk about it. And they'll wait like 20, 30 years before they even tell their story because they'll wait till after the other person passed away or they moved away or they lost communication because they made a promise to them that they wouldn't talk about it and like ruin exactly. their professional life. Exactly. I've heard this too so many times and, and it, it, it's that the trauma is not just the encounter. It's this feeling like you won't be accepted by your friends or family or coworkers. And people do get laughed at when they mention this. I mean, I've had people who said they were the ones that used to laugh until they encountered it. And it was no joke once they encountered it. There's a lot of witnesses that don't even necessarily want to use the term Bigfoot or Sasquatch. And those are always the ones that I find the most fascinating because it's somebody trying to explain something without using a specific box in order to get labeled, you know, how they don't want to necessarily get labeled. Cause I don't want to call anybody crazy for having an experience by any means. Um, but like they try to fit it into another box and they'll just say, it was just like, it was a big man with a lot of hair. Like they'll dance around it as much as they possibly can and not actually exactly. use the term Sasquatch or Bigfoot. <laughs> Right. It, we don't even have the quite the vocabulary to describe what we're dealing with here. That's exactly right. People say, well, it, some people say it looked more more ape-like. Some people say more cat-like, ape-cat. Uh, then there's this sort of caveman look with, you know, the caveman with long hair mm -hmm. coming down from the right. Yeah. And people, even a group that will see it won't describe it the same way they'll have all these different descriptions then there's the cases where some people will see it and some people won't and you don't know if that's from cloaking or our going back to remote viewing our tendency to not see things that don't easily fit into our idea of reality i mean literally delete it from your visual uh perceptive abilities your your perceptive uh areas of your brain you can delete these things so you don't consciously remember it uh, and in the first Flash of Beauty movie, a Flash of Beauty Bigfoot revealed, they they have uh, people at the end of the show, hypnotherapists and others, talking about how we tend to delete things that don't easily fit into our reality. So, so this raises the possibility that we could be encountering this more than we are aware of. I've wondered frequently if they actually, kind of getting into some of their possible psychic, um psychic abilities if it's more so that they don't necessarily like physically disappear but rather that they change somebody's perceptions so that they don't see them and that yeah. kind of goes into a lot of even like the kind of skinwalker or like shamans transforming into animal concepts uh, i wonder if it's if for me at least it makes a little bit more sense that they're able to alter somebody's perception of reality rather than them actually physically transforming into these other creatures and then just another tie off of that, too. I've threw the, thrown this idea a few times as far as UFOs go, but it makes me wonder if, you know, when you look at stuff on a microscopic level and it's vibrating at a certain pitch and frequency, if maybe UFOs for is the main thing that I kind of tied it back to, if they have an ability to vibrate in a different vibrational pattern, which makes it so that they can either one disappear, or they don't necessarily interact with objects in our physical reality because the, they're basically just moving through it at a microscopic level. 
Um, and then kind of digging back into just like Sasquatch and stuff in general with uh, what we we're talking about as far as these abilities that we seem to have known at one point and kind of steered away from, it kind of makes you wonder if they're kind of remnants of where we used to be um, and maybe we were living next to them and we were fully aware of all these abilities or if there's even the possibility that maybe we somehow descended from them and they are what's left from like what people were beforehand, like which could have been the people that theoretically even built like the pyramids, for example, because they had more of an understanding of how this stuff works and maybe people were geared to be a lot bigger. And that was why they're able to move a lot of those blocks, for example. Um, I mean, even the depictions in a lot of the uh, hieroglyphs inside of the pyramids depict these like giant people. I mean, maybe there's a link between that and Sasquatch as we know it now. Maybe they just kind of shrunk down a little bit, for example. Right. Yeah, you definitely wonder these things, don't you? There's also those dog-like people in those Egyptian hieroglyphs, the Anubis. And, you know, um, yeah, these are all valid points. There's something big missing in our knowledge of our own history and evolution. And Bigfoot, Sasquatch, Yeti have something to do with it. We're related to them in some way. They're on the same tree we are. They went in a different direction, in a more natural direction, working directly with nature we became more technological for whatever reason are we hybridized by extraterrestrials i don't know these are all just hypothetical possibilities that that could be true we need you know there's a bigger story here there's a bigger story and it's going to challenge all of us to have this discussion it challenges formal religions ideas of you know earth creation stories and so forth um there's just more going on here. There's more crypt. There's more. Bigfoot is probably not technically a cryptid. I mean, some people think it's an animal. People have had these nasty encounters with them. Definitely feel they were dealing with an, an animal sometimes, <laughs> or maybe a really angry person. Uh, you know, they can yell and shriek like a person would. And you know, I, I was li- hearing listening to Scott Nelson at the Kalispell Mystery Conference. And uh, just a couple of weeks ago, and he was saying, you know, they slowed the speech down, Nate, because he's a, he's a linguist that used to work for the Navy. And they have these tools to slow speech down. And we all have these tools now, audio tools on our computers. But back then, it was some, he said they was classified, these uh, audio technologies that we all now have on our, our computers to record things and slow them down and so on. And they would do it for you know reasons that the military would be interested in decoding other foreign adversary speech and so forth. But he said when you slowed the Bigfoot speech down, it was quite clear that they there were like syllables in their speech. Like we would have and, and sounds that you know, phonemes as he called them, that would indicate I'm done with my sentence, what do you think? And and they can talk while they're inhaling, which we can't do. Which is why they can talk twice as fast as we can. And uh, so they definitely have a language um, when they're not imitating English. I mean, they're, these creatures, I mean, some of them, are, you know, they're, they're super intelligent. You hear these stories of people being out in the woods, being lured down a path by what sounded like something imitating their musical instruments or their speech. Um, you know, and it's clear you're dealing with something that's, really understands us really well. And I mean, they could be the top predator on the planet. We wouldn't know. I mean, that's the definition of a top predator is like, they're not just going to give everything away. That's what makes them successful. 
So we really don't know exactly what we're dealing with here. And I think you're right. It's just some, something to do with our evolution. And sometimes the encounters, people have these gifting relationships with them. They leave something out, you know, apples or jars of peanut butter. And the Sasquatch will leave crystals and flowers or sometimes, you know, mummified mice braided in grass, <laughs> what they consider to be a gift, you know. They'll leave all sorts of things, but it, it, there's so much variation in the Sasquatch human interactions. It's hard to characterize it. You know, the ones in Alaska, for example, they call them the Bushmen. They have different names for them up there, and the, the Native American tribes have different names. Some of those guys seem pretty aggressive, right? And yet, the ones that people encountered around Bailey, I went to one of the Bigfoot Adventure weekends there that was hosted by the Sasquatch office. I mean, they say they've never had a hostile encounter on any of their Bigfoot adventure weekends. You know, it's always been, but I get this huge variation, almost just like people. That's what I was going to mention. These other creatures too, that we don't even know what we're dealing with. The dog, man, uh, Thunderbirds for lack of a better name, these huge pterodactyl type birds. And then, the little people, there's these smaller ones, the Baguas, which the Northwest Native Americans refer to, and sort of everything in between. And if you encounter one of these, you won't even know exactly what you're dealing with, uh, let alone try to convince anyone else in your life that you encountered these types. I mean, the types of creatures people encounter, we don't even have names for. I was just talking with Stan Gordon, the researcher from Pennsylvania, just a couple of days ago. I posted it on my YouTube channel. He's written that book. Uh, really, this is a pretty influential book for me, Silent Invasion, the UFO Bigfoot Connection, Pennsylvania. All about Sasquatch and UFOs being seen at the same time in the same fields or things, you know, interactions between Sasquatch and UFOs that witnesses saw. And he was describing to me recent cases, relatively recent. You know, some of these creatures, I mean, you don't know what they're hominid-like, but they don't seem to be like a Bigfoot or a human or anything else we know about. So it just suggests that there's these sort of, uh, as James Shupsky calls them from uh, the Columbia Gorge area, Bingen, Washington, uh, one-off cryptids. So it's, it sort of suggests the spectrum of life. Let's put it that way. And no, no one taught us about this in school. Nope. <laughs> the Bigfoot is one component of this. I think it's fascinating, and I think there's aspects of it, which I write about in Dark Matter Monsters, you know, that are very similar to plasmas, coherent matter, uh, plasmoids, different ball lightning, basically. There, it, there's a lot of similarities between the Sasquatch and this sort of fluidity of ball lightning, the energy, ability to float uh, and, uh, it, you know, emit a lot of energy very quickly and and Bigfoot Sasquatch are seen around these orbs. Again, the Flash of Beauty Paranormal Bigfoot, uh, which I'd encourage people to watch, has cases like this, which are really incredible, of people seeing them turn into orbs, other animals. Listen, honestly, it's stuff that it, w it would have been hard for me to believe this even a few years ago. It, it's so mind-bending. I've heard you a must, few must people throw that theory. The time on your show. I was going to say, I've heard a few people throw the theory about them turning into the balls of light. I've heard a couple different stories of people talking about it firsthand. 
And I mean, that kind of builds into the like, the whole potential portal idea as far as like energy draining, for example, because assumably there would be a point where if you're trying to theoretically open a portal that you'd need to suck up a bunch of energy in order to create it. Or on the other yeah. side of it, if you open a portal, assumably there's going to be energy drain of things getting pulled into it. So if there is some form of an open portal, even if it's not something that you're necessarily uh, visually open to even seeing, uh, there could be massive energy drain within the area from either side of it, either opening it or from it being opened in the after after it's been opened. Right. Yeah, there's definitely a lot of energy moving around. And this is why you get the camera battery failure. Uh, people feel can feel very disoriented after being around these orbs. And uh, sometimes there's medical issues. I, uh, Stan Gordon was talking about cases. I heard cases like this in Vernal, just in, uh, in um, I think it was uh, September, of people feeling very drowsy after their orb encounters, so much so that they went to sleep, you know, later in the morning again. I mean, and some people feel sick from it. There's different types of radiation, uh, X-rays and ultraviolet radiation that can come off of these orbs because there's so much variation in these orbs. You don't know exactly what frequencies you're getting, but they can be like strong radio emitters because of the coherency of the particles. It's kind of like uh, this uh, Bose-Einstein condensate, which was, you know, discovered here in Boulder. I mean, predicted by Bose and Einstein in the 20s, but seen here in 95 or so. I mean, there are other states of matter where there's this coherency and it can really, like a laser, a laser is a coherent type of energy. That, that when you get that coherency, it can have a lot of energy. You don't want to look at a laser, right? Because it's really strong. And that this is true with these types of objects. And I think even the Sasquatch sometimes. People feel really dazed sometimes. I've spoken to witnesses like this. They really felt dazed for a day, two days, three days afterwards uh, from their encounter. And you, you start to think, you know, this is not purely psychological. It's like they were exposed to something, you know? See, that makes you kind of wonder, too, if, you know, if, if time isn't necessarily linear and people are having these Sasquatch experiences, if it's maybe just that they are existing in that area, but at a different point in time. And when people are seeing these things, it could almost be somewhat of like a time slip or maybe some type of, I don't want to necessarily say a residual haunting, but maybe kind of something along those lines that it's something that happened in that area and it got fine tuned and stuck in that area. Cause especially if you start digging into like the whole concept of like magnetism, uh, you can almost imagine the world almost working like a, like a VHS deck, for example, that due to magnetic frequencies happening on it, it now records this image onto it itself and maybe the reason why people end up feeling so dazed from these experiences is because they're seeing something that they're not necessarily supposed to perceive. So in turn, their senses are using a lot of energy in order to perceive this thing because it maybe sense that there's something in the area. So you're perceiving something that you wouldn't necessarily perceive. And when your brain chooses to stop perceiving it, maybe that's when the experiences happen where a Sasquatch will just vanish right in front of somebody's eyes. It's because they're still there in a way, but your brain st decided to stop processing it after that point because it was using so much energy and maybe straining different areas of your perception. Yeah, no, that makes a lot of sense. It's definitely pushing the limits of our perception and, uh, it's like all of the above, you know? Mm -hmm. That in and of itself is going to cause you to feel pretty exhausted afterwards. 
but you're definitely seeing something that can change its frequency. Um, and who knows what abilities they have. Is it just infrasound? I mean, elephants use infrasound, whales, you know, it's a very low frequency. But um, I don't know. I haven't heard too much about elephant researchers feeling dazed. Yeah, I haven't either. <laughs> yeah, or whale researchers. So you kind of wonder, is that the explanation or is that what we're coming up with for lack of a better understanding? Because uh, there, there are, you know, there, there's different ways that the Sasquatch could emit energy, which would, uh, depending on its level of coherency, could really could definitely affect you just like being exposed to some high e EMF field or something like this. Um, you know, when people describe the sound of it, you've probably heard this many times. You know, they say it's like your internal organs are vibrating mm -hmm. when the thing is shrieking. And that is, that is more than just volume. I mean, I've been to enough rock concerts. I've been by speakers that are really loud and you don't want to be around them too long, but you can feel your, you know, Everything's vibrating, you know. But to me, it seems more than just a sheer volume issue. It seems that they're able to modulate their sound that they're giving off to uh, actually create, you know, create altered states of matter that literally sort of vibrate your cells or more. You know, because just like you're saying, you get these weird time slips around Sasquatch. I mean, I've heard stories of people just lifting their camera up to take a picture. And then the next thing they know they're in their vehicle, which would have been a 10 minute walk. But they don't remember walking back to their vehicle. They're just, they remember t just about to take a picture all of a sudden, the next thing they know they're back in their car. <laughs> and I've, I've, I've had other people who've had this happen, taking hikes with, with other people. All of a sudden they're back in the parking lot. They neither of them remember going back down the trailer, just there again. And then the time doesn't seem right, you know, like too much time has passed. So you kind of wonder if there's parameters to our consciousness. You go beyond those parameters too much and your brain is going to say, I, I can't deal with this. I'm just winking out for a bit. I mean, that could even partly explain like the blurry pictures that everybody seems to get of cryptids is that maybe they are something that's either one vibrating at a higher frequency or two, there's something that <clears throat> isn't within our line of perception. So when you try to, uh, for example, like take a picture of them. It's almost like trying to take a picture of something that's extremely magnetic or something that it, it ends up causing distortion to the camera due to the effect that it's putting back on the camera. And I mean, specifically with Sasquatch too, um, it seems like it's, it's very rare and in between that they're aware and you actually get a decent picture. The only time anybody's ever really gotten decent footage is when they're like not necessarily aware. And I mean, maybe that's because they project something towards people's cameras when they're aware that they're there. Or, I don't know, maybe maybe it's just at lucky times, maybe using certain specific types of cameras that don't pick up on certain frequencies or th certain uh, auras of light or something, for example, that it just it works with certain cameras. Because it seems like more often than not, when people are using old cameras, they end up getting better luck with footage than they do using modern day cameras. And you think it'd be the opposite way around. Yeah, I actually think there's an explanation for the blurriness. Uh, because this has been seen around UFOs, too, for quite a while. And I was really interested to find out it happens around cold fusion Lenner reaction research. This is a recent book published by uh, uh, Bob Greenier of the Martin Fleischmann Memorial Project, Cold Fusion 
nonprofit research. This is his book, Steps to the uh, Discovery of Electronuclear Collapse, a Japanese researcher, Takayaki Matsumoto. People like this were puzzled by their blurry photos of cold fusion ball lightning reactions in a reactor, right? And the Russian Soviet researchers figured out what it was. It's actually quite interesting. There's a, it, it's, it relates to what you're saying. It's pretty close to what you're saying, but this is what the explanation is. There are these two components of electromagnetism called permittivity and permeability. Permittivity is the electrical constant of a material, the ability to resist electrical field, and the permeability is resistance to magnetic fields. These are normally set at one by physics. The, the permeability is one and the, the permittivity is one of, of, of a vacuum, empty vacuum space. And different materials that we have have different levels of permittivity based on their conductivity. We're kind of overgeneralizing here a little bit. So insulators have much higher permittivity. You can imagine uh, materials like wood and, and rubber. But these cold fusion reactors, what they found is that the materials that are created there, and this also relates to what are called metamaterials, that materials with very fine structures that act like waveguides for light lowers permittivity, especially ball lightning, micro ball lightning, lowers permittivity. And the person that wrote about this was Kenneth Radford Shoulders, uh, also worked at SRI, by the way, not directly on the remote viewing program, uh, a a colleague of Hal Puthoff. Now, this is really interesting. He wrote a paper about his experience with uh, exotic vacuum objects, charge clusters, ball lightning, so forth. And he said it lowers permittivity, which means that these objects exist in a different space-time than ordinary objects that we're used to, that we're familiar with. As the permittivity goes down, it changes the rate of time and, and space, and it changes the speed of light. Because the equation for the speed of light it's an electromagnetic equation which is speed of light equals one over square root uh, of permeability by permittivity squared and basically what that means is as permittivity goes down speed of light increases and one of the researchers that was looking into this wrote directly about why their pictures are blurry of their cold fusion reactors. And it has to do with the effect of these charge clusters, microball lightning. They said that it creates a double exposure because the speed of light has changed for that particular object versus your frame of reference. So you're dealing with two different, basically to sum it up, Shane, it's a variable speed of light effect creates blurriness for cameras because you're not dealing with light at a constant speed and the camera does not know how to measure it, how, you know, cameras use these little lasers and things to get range finding and stuff. It doesn't work when the speed of light's different. And that to me, and again, I could be wrong, is why so many of these paranormal phenomena that we call paranormal, the, you get the blob squatches, you get the UFOs, you get the ghost. We've all seen these photos, right, mm-hmm. for years. And then they're weird looking, right? They're just strange looking, especially those ghost photos. Oh, it's distorted. Like a, yeah, distorted. That to me, in Simeon's mind, is a permittivity shift effect, which means different speed of light. Uh, we know that OSAP, ATIP, the government UFO programs, classified programs, uh, because Hal Putoff 
lectured us in Las Vegas in 20, uh, 2018 about permittivity changes in variable speed of light, something that Einstein even proposed in 1907 and 1911. We've all been brought up to think of, you know, speed of light's constant, right? It's something like 300,000 miles per second, something like that, because it, it's electromagnetic wave. And it, it was it was actually computed by uh, Wilhelm Weber in 19, 1846. We're talking almost 200 years ago. A German physicist just working with electrostatic charges calculated something that was very close to the speed of light without even knowing what the speed of light would have been back then. They couldn't measure, but they could measure electrostatic ratios and charges. They, they figured out what it was, but it's variable based on the materials. Now, these uh, some of these materials from UFOs have an oscillating permittivity, which means the speed of light's changing. It can shift things into the blue spectrum, which is why a lot of UFOs are bluish and why they have radiation because now they're in the ultraviolet range. If you can imagine all the, you were talking about frequencies a few minutes ago. The freak, exactly what you're saying, the frequencies are shifted because the speed of lights change. And this is what Hal Putoff told us, someone who worked on the remote viewing program, that's, I, not, I know him, but he said he also worked on these UFO programs in this lecture in 2018. So Shak Paranov, the Russian researcher said that their cold fusion experiments create an oscillating permittivity which is why the pictures of the micro ball lightning and the reactors are blurry. So they're inherently blurry. And by, by the way, Tom DeLong uh, tweeted about this a couple of years ago, and I think he's right. He said, maybe Bigfoot photos look blurry because Bigfoot is, in capital letters, is blurry. I think Bigfoot is inherently blurry a lot of the time. Because just like you're saying, you've seen these photos. We've all seen these, right? They never look distinct like you're looking at something with an ordinary focus and um, a definition from a camera, right? Mm-hmm. There, there's something weird about them. I think that weirdness is a permittivity shift. Prove me wrong. I'm happy to be proven wrong, but that's what I think is going on. I mean, even kind of bounces, too, into the possibility of them exi- like vibrating at a different frequency altogether and yeah. just that the particles aren't necessarily able to be picked up. And it's actually kind of like how you were explaining that all the newer sensors are what actually ends up making it harder to actually perceive these things. Cause I mean, the pictures are of course blurry in the past, but they seem like they were way less blurry in the past than they are now because it seemed like they were just kind of taking a straight image and not trying to use so many sensors to bounce light yeah, back and exactly. to do all this extra stuff with it. Addison Gimlin. Yeah, that was like almost like a perfect shot besides just the yeah. graininess of just the normal film back then. So, I mean, maybe that kind of covered up the effect a little bit. Right. I think it covers up the effect. You had the Paul Freeman footage from the Blue Mountains, the forest service worker that took those photos in uh, 94, I think. Yep. 94. Um, yeah. And his son wrote a book about it. Or 92. August 20th, uh, 1992. Sorry. 92. Right. So that Paul Freeman. So that it's sort of focused, but it's still a little weird looking. Uh and then some, almost all the rest are like blob squatches. I, I believe that the people saw something, but when you look at the photos, it's just odd looking. It's like, and it almost always looks to me like these ghost photos. Just like you're saying, the proportions are not are wrong. You can see a face there. I mean, you can really see a body, but it just looks weird. And those Sasquatch photos look a lot like those ghost photos. I think my bent as a scientific sort of mind is to say it's a speed of light shift. It's a variable speed of light, which we know from 
the research, metamaterials. Again, this is a lot of this is highly classified, but waveguides can change permittivity, can change speed of light uh, for that particular object. And then our perception from our frame of reference, it's, it's going to look red-shifted, blue-shifted, or blurry, as Shaq Paranoff talks about. When I read that Shaq Paranoff article, and he found, by the way, black ball lightning, too. I mean, if you look at the Shaq Paranoff photos, the orbs, they have a, a, plasma, a stealth mode. They look like black holes in the picture. I'm not kidding. They're like they are absorbing all the light. So if you can have this in the lab, Shane, with very carefully controlled conditions, with years of research, and you're getting these blurry photos and these invisible ball lightning, black ball lightning, black orbs. Again, the argument I'm, I'm making, and I make this again in the film, you know, uh, Flash of Beauty, Paranormal, Bigfoot, I believe it. Why, why wouldn't other creatures have figured this out besides us? We do it in the lab. How do you know they just don't know how to modulate their frequency, like you're saying, mm-hmm. to create these effects? Maybe it's deliberate to... Appear. Maybe they just look blurry because they're in they're, the speed of lights oscillating or something like that. Uh, but it doesn't seem out of the realm of possibility, given that we can already, you know, do this in the lab setting. And how many how many of these UFO photos look like, you know, blob squatch photos? Like they're the, the definition isn't there. They're just weird. Though I saw one as a kid with my mom in the Everglades. This is my first exposure to the paranormal. I could have said this in the introduction, but there was so much to say. We, we, she was a bird watcher. She took me and her down to the Everglades. So we saw something right overhead. I thought it was the full moon. It was that big, but it was green. And it was blurry. I still remember as a 13-year-old, it was blurry. When we look at binocs, there were dots in them that looked highly definite. It formed a Z, like maybe Zeta. I don't know. Zeta reticuli. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, a dot of, but but the object itself was blurry. I still remember this like it was yesterday, and it moved into a cloud from a stationary position, and then all of a sudden it just moved, and it was in a cloud. We were had binoculars, good bird binoculars. We could see it, and you know, uh, the ranger did not want to talk about this at the ranger talk an hour or two later. Uh, we tried to get her to talk about it. She's like, oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't see nothing. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> you saw a weather balloon type thing. Yeah. <laughs> And there was a blackout. But I, so I've seen this with my own eyes, the blurriness. It, it, it's hard to describe it. It just didn't focus, right? But when we had binox, some parts of it focused, which again, okay, it could be different things, but it's consistent with this idea of a variable speed of light. Einstein proposed this, though he didn't run with it because he was already getting pretty well known for a fixed speed of light. And why ruin a good thing? He was already on the path to getting a Nobel Prize. So he didn't push that variable speed of light. You know, you know, physicists and scientists are very sensitive to criticism. I mean, you should have to remember this. Uh, Paul Dirac didn't even want to propose antimatter back in the late 20s. It fit the quantum equations to have particles with negative energy, but nobody wanted it to exist. And uh, it was one solution to the, the... quantum equations he was working with. And I've heard Dirac talk about this. He's a very famous physicist, won the Nobel Prize too. Uh, he said he was reluctant to propose another type of particle because all at the time, the only thing that was known was electrons and protons and simple, you know, negative, positive. Why one? Who wants to rock the boat? And here he is proposing antimatter, which was discovered three years later from these cosmic ray 
experiments that are detecting energy from the cosmos and detected positrons. So here's a third particle. But he didn't want, almost didn't want it because he didn't want the criticism. Do you see where we, what this means? is like even the best scientists that we know of that we respect who created physics as we know it, Einstein, Dirac, are cautious about pushing something that seems weird, ostracism, ridicule. You see what's going on here? Mm-hmm. This is what we're all affected. Yeah. But they direct proposed the positron. Everyone thought he's crazy. And then it's discovered and he wins the Nobel Prize. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. And this, if you look at the history of science, this has happened so many times. You get one person saying, I think it could be different. And they get really criticized by their, you know, their, associ- their scientific so, uh, organizations that they're part of. And then it turns out to be true and they win the Nobel Prize. So and we're all part of the same system. So this is what we're dealing with is people are reluctant to propose really outlandish ideas. But the bottom line is Bigfoot looks blurry a lot of the time. It doesn't always, but the photos, especially the modern ones with all the sensors, like you're saying, you, you know, it's funny you're saying this, Shane, because you expect the sensors to make it more in focus, right? More definitive. But it seems to have the opposite effect because the sensors are electromagnetic and they're being affected by electromagnetic variation. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. Saying at least for like the, the people that are uh, not wanting to necessarily propose ideas too. Um, a lot of the time people don't realize they think it's some kind of just giant conspiracy or cover up, but like half the time, it's just a matter of people trying to preserve their name in yeah. the scientific community. And if somebody proposes a theory that goes against what they were saying, then it's almost like their name gets written out of it. And if people have right. respect for that person, they're trying to conserve that person's name within their research. And even yeah. just within that set, it makes you wonder how many, ideas had been lost through time that somebody was like onto something and was just scared to throw the idea. And in turn, it was something that got rediscovered and then lost again in time. And it makes you curious how many times this has happened and how much has actually been figured out, but no, the people who figured it out and never told anybody about it. It is really true. And I just heard about a new case of this just over the past two weeks. It was about, I mentioned this physicist, Wilhelm Weber. He, with together with Carl Friedrich Gauss, Invented the telegraph, okay? The telegraph. Beep, 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 beep. Morse code, early form of communication before radio, so it's telegraph, right? Mm-hmm. And they had competition. They were, you know, they were from the continent, Germans. They had competition from UK scientists. And it was Lord Kelvin who also, 24 years later, wanted the patents in the telegraph from the UK side, even though he invented it 24 years later. And when it came to one of these conventions where they had to name units and stuff, they wrote Weber out of the picture because of this competition over patents. And Weber had proposed this idea that particles, instead of looking at fields of electromagnetism, that particles themselves, there could be force between them. And when they get very close together, they could actually attract and come together in ways that was not uh, something that would have been predicted from Maxwell and Faraday, right? Mm-hmm. This f- feature of coherency of particles is now part of superconductivity. It's part of the idea of coherent matter, which is part of cold fusion, low energy nuclear reaction research, Leonard. But just like you're saying, and I've been studying this for about two weeks now because it's so fascinating, the Weber-Gauss idea of electromagnetism. The reason I'm saying this is there are alternatives to Maxwellian Faraday electromagnetism. That is based on 90 degree angles pointing vectors of electromagnetic fields, which are 90 degrees orthogonal apart. 
always, right? Magnetic, electric, magnetic, electric. The Soviet researchers, later Russians, as I wrote about in Dark Matter Monsters, Zverbalis and Nevesky came up with a fractal electromagnetic idea where it's rings within rings within rings. What they called fractal electromagnetics. Not Maxwellian, which is 90 degrees, but inner rings of electricity and magnetism getting smaller. Each ring has more magnetism around it, and each of those rings has more electricity. You know, they kind of alternate in the Maxwellian way, but they do it inwardly condensed, and they form a fractal, and they described it as being a Coke snowflake fractal, which is, you know, more edges and more edges on triangles. Something I studied in my dissertation, the Coke snowflake fractal. It's a very famous fractal. So they were proposing an alternative electromagnetic arrangement. Why? Because this guy, Zverbalist, saw a Soviet classified Soviet experiment of ball lightning in a lab. Once, once you turned off the experiment and took the equipment away, the orb stayed on the tabletop for two days, he said. Really? He, he, yes, he called it an electromagnetic phantom. He first thought it was a hoax. But he started investigating. It was part of some classified Soviet energy experiment. And he didn't believe it first. He thought there had to be some trick when they pulled the plug out and took the machine off. And the orb was still there. And he consulted Nevesky, a mathematician. And they realized if you had these sort of fractal electromagnetic patterns instead of 90 degrees going outward, fractal going inward all the way down to the zero point vacuum field, the quantum field it would create this kind of loop of energy that kind of condensed in on itself and could last for a couple days. And so people have seen this and proposed alternative ideas. And then to find out that Wilhelm Weber, uh, you can do some research and there's a guy from uh, Brazil who, uh, Assis, who, who translated a lot of his books and realized this too. There's another way to look at electromagnetic phenomena that allows for persistent luminous phenomena, orbs, and so forth. So, and and the idea that when particles get very close together, they don't repel like we were taught Coulomb's law. They actually attract and create, this is great, negative inertial mass. Yeah. Once you get negative inertial mass, you get warp drives and wormholes cascading runaway energy effects that kind of like Tesla was experimenting with where it gets creates a runaway energetic effect that keeps increasing. And they've described it in weird ways. It's known as the Casimir effect at the subatomic level. When you put particles very close together, it gets this massive attraction. But if it existed at a macroscopic level of our reality, it would be seen as something like ball lightning. And things like where the particles get so close together that they become like identical in frequency and temperature and so forth, which is the basis for cold fusion liner ball lightning, which is, getting, by the way, this is what Matsumoto said here is that micro ball lightning and cold fusion are the same thing. It creates a nuclear alchemy. The picture on the cover here is carbon that came out of a pure iron sphere. Carbon just from one of these micro ball lightning experiments, gener- I mean, iron generating carbon, it shouldn't be possible considered, you know, alchemy. This is, by the way, what Newton believed in. 
Newton was interested in the occult because he knew about these force laws. So here's the weird thing about it is once you have these force laws of Newton, this is the second law of force equals mass time acceleration. If you really push it, you get odd exotic states of matter. And what do we see around UFOs and ghosts Mm -hmm. and Sasquatch and ball lightning is these weird effects, which are consistent with negative inertial mass. Uh, once you have negative inertial, inertial mass, you get these really um, odd runaway effects that are more consistent with perpetual energy, something we might, you know, wouldn't have thought is possible. But again, it's not an ordinary state of matter. And um, we all know about superconductivity where you get these Cooper pairs, right? You get these electrons pairing up together and it creates zero resistance and you can create superconducting circuits. Well, the big lesson from all this is it can happen at room temperature, not just the Bose-Einstein condensated absolute zero where you get the, you know, the, the, the coherency effects and so forth. These sorts of t- states of matter can exist in uh, room temperature too. And the proof we have of that is simply the Lockheed Martin patent from 2016 when they talk about patenting coherent matter wave beams. And they say right in the beginning, because I read this patent a couple of times, it's fascinating. They talk about all these cool cloaking effects and invisibility and action at a distance and directed energy. And it's not done with uh, force. It's done with coherent frequency, right? Think of like a toning bowl or something. Frequency, current frequencies. They say right on page one that you don't need absolute zero to do this. You can do this, create these coherent effects with different types of particles, not just very, you know, cooled down atoms of one or two types of elements you could do with anything with the right frequency. And just to sum it up, I mean, there's a name for this called the Aronhoff bohm effect. It already exists in physics since the 50s of creating kind of coherency. So the point of all this is that the physics is already there to show us that these, you know, what we call paranormal, these sort of exotic states of matter. I mean, science already knows about this. That's the point. It's just different than the textbook types of science that we were taught. It's just, there's non-ordinary electromagnetic fields. There's fractal arrangements. There's types of fields that contain themselves within a very small space, but it doesn't radiate past a certain distance from that uh, cluster of particles or something. Um, So people have been researching this, why it just ended up in the classified realm. Uh, it, It shouldn't be there only because this explains to me and now you don't have to agree with me on this, but I'm explained a lot of what we see around Sasquatch UFOs, these sort of time slips and strange effects on cameras and batteries and just the, the oddities around these sorts of encounters um, that seem to me consistent with this type of matter. That's, I'm glad that you brought it full circle because that's exactly where I was kind of go towards with it is that I think that it's hidden from the public because assumably this would create an infinite energy source because it's almost like stealing energy from everything that's around it. Right. So that's assumably why it wants to be covered up is because 
obviously they want to be able to make money off of people needing energy. So they don't want to have a free energy source, but particularly with like UFOs and things, um, you know, the reason why they don't necessarily need an energy source, so to speak, is because they pull energy from every single thing around it and in turn end up distorting things. And you hear about all these constant uh, interactions with UFOs flying close to the sun and that looking like it's pulling something off of it. I wonder if yeah. that kind of explains that is that the intention yeah. is that they need a massive power source in order to be able to possibly like jump dimensions or be able to jump through so. a wormhole. So they just fly close to the biggest energy source, suck all the electrons and particles from it, and then boom, they have a massive energy source. That, that would be one of the symptoms of uh, negative mass, negative inertial mass. It, it, it pulls as it moves away, it pulls stuff with it. Uh, it's the opposite of things pushing each other away. It sort of creates an attraction and it would pull energy. And I mean, I was just reading this today. It was a NASA paper about negative inertial mass. And they said, if it would exist at our macroscopic scale, not just the Casimir effect, this sort of quantum effect, but at our scale, it would do all these sorts of things that you're mentioning um, including creating runaway energy effects and things sort of attracting each other. Actually, what you just said, this NASA article said the same thing. It would seemingly create energy out of nowhere. From stealing from everything else around it in turn. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, yeah. assumably this could probably be a damaging effect if you didn't have the ability to possibly stop it when you needed to stop right. it. Right, right. It, it can create runaway effects. And all of this technology you have to use with caution. It, it, any of this cold fusion technology, Leonard, I mean, people have gotten cancer from being around these reactors because they do emit alternative types of radiation that we're not used to being around. And it creates this, exactly what you're saying, it can create a runaway effect. And uh, I, I just learned just the past couple of days that Fleischmann and Pons, the researchers at University of Utah that were studying cold fusion, Apparently, they had an effect like this, a singularity effect that uh, they had a whole tub of water and the whole thing like burnt through the table into the ground or something. I mean, there was nothing burning. The reaction took over and it it went through the through physical objects <laughs> and uh, and and just like just disappeared. This is what people see, by the way. I, I'm not kidding. People have seen metal objects and things literally disappear in these cold fusion experiments. I've seen it done with tungsten. Uh, Matsumoto talked about this. Uh, I mean, you get these weird little black holes and weird little effects that when you first look at it, you think it's just burning, but it's, it's a quantum effect. It's not a chemical effect. This isn't from things physically getting hot. This is literally, uh, as he described it, little supernovas and black holes, basically. To sum it up, what we see at the cosmological scale, you can get at the microscopic scale, too. He called it electronuclear collapse. What you get in black holes is kind of gravitational collapse you can get for electromagnetic reasons. By the way, this is what Wilhelm Weber said in 1846. So it's a matter of, I was going to bring it to it too and say everything is just condensing down on each other. So, yeah. I mean, nobody necessarily knows what's on the other side of a black hole. Um, what people want to say that it opens up into another reality, but more often than not, it kind of seems like it would be a collapse in on itself or rather than going into another reality, so to speak, you'd, if anything, be going into like a micro reality because of everything collapsing inward on itself. Right. And I think we have examples of that happening again with cryptid encounters. I, I'm taking the Matsumoto approach, just like he's saying ball lightning and cold fusion and black holes and electronuclear collapse in ball lightning. It's the same thing. 
I'm saying what we see around these cryptids is the same sort of electronuclear collapse. And the evidence for that would be the cameras and batteries and cars stalling and stuff. When I, you, you've heard these cases, people see a dog man or something on the road, comes out of the ditch, and they, the car stalls just when they want to get away. So th- this, to me, is evidence of that. Now, again, if, if I'm wrong, I'm fine. I'm, I'm happy to be proven wrong or shown wrong. But this, to me, you can simplify things in the same way, is that we're dealing with these alternative states of matter. And just like it happens out there in the cosmos on a grand scale, uh, I think empirically you see this happening at a close. I- I've seen it myself in crop circles with the cameras and batteries repeatedly failing. I've talked to other people. Uh, I know someone in the UK, Steve Wills, and we were just discussing this on Facebook a couple of days ago, but he gave me this photo. It was a camera crew that was working with him in, in a crop circle. Every time they came into the circle, the boom mic wouldn't work at the edge of the circle. They'd walk out. It was fine. Test it. Come back in. It wouldn't work. Uh, you, the, he gave me this photo of them looking really puzzled over these mics. But I think it, that's the same sort of electromagnetic effect. I mean, it's this uh, fractal electromagnetic effect that just wreaks havoc on electronics i mean would it theoretically be possible that there could be a negative of the negative effect where when you hear about like ufos uh sasquatch dogman any of these things that everybody likes to think that they might exist in another like side parallel reality but maybe it's not so much they're existing in a side parallel reality but more so like a micro reality and if they have the means or a method in order to like reverse that they end up opening themselves back up to the macro reality and that could be where the condensing of like the balls with Sasquatch comes in is that they're condensing themselves back down into this yeah. micro reality. And we're yeah. looking in the wrong direction as far as extraterrestrials and UFOs go. We're looking at it as a bigger dimension or a dimension existing parallel yes. to us, but rather it's a dimension that's within our dimension, but with that continuous pattern of like the micro mirroring the macro and keep going down the scale from there. Yeah, no, no. I think that's a very accurate description. Shane. I ha- we're going to have to end this fascinating discussion. Here. I have to take my dog out <laughs> going to the door. He's had a little upset stomach and he's looking at me and clawing at the door. So we're going to have to end in a minute. But just before we do, a lot of what we talked about is in this, uh, is in this film. A flash of beauty. Paranormal Bigfoot. So, I'll have to uh, include a link in the show description so everybody can come and find it because we've talked about it enough that I feel like people are going to definitely want to come and find it. So I'll make sure I include a link for you. Yeah, this is in. The, they have the witnesses. It fits what we're saying with the witnesses. So, uh, anyway. Shane, thank you very much. Uh, before we wrap up, I like to do two quick things if you don't mind doing it. Um, I like to do just even a quick words of wisdom and then uh, just your quick links for everybody can come and find you easy. Yeah, no, believe your experience over what you've been told. That's my words of wisdom. Believe what you experience. Simple and perfect. Yeah. And my websites are New Crystal Mind. That's my blog. You can find this at darkmattermonsters.com. And all the links to my other books, Opening Minds, Black Swan Ghost, Planetary Intelligence, are at New Crystal Mind. Also, remote viewing classes that I occasionally do on Zoom and so forth. So. Perfect. And I'll include everything down in the show description and uh, hopefully we can come back around. Uh, this was a great conversation. I'd love to have you back on again, but okay, as for right now, I appreciate you making the time to come on. Thanks very much. Shane. This is a lot of fun. It was a great discussion. I appreciate your open-mindedness and let's talk again soon. Oh yeah, definitely. If you guys enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave a review or rating for the show on iTunes or Spotify. Uh, definitely appreciate it if you do, or you guys can always share the show through word of mouth 
And uh, all of that will continue to help the show to grow. And the only way it's ever going to happen is with your guys' help. So don't forget to support not just this show, but any podcast that you guys enjoy. Because the only way we're going to be able to stick around is with your guys' help. And if anybody has an encounter that they'd like to report, don't forget I have the exclusive encounter email set up now, which is OMMEncounterReports at Outlook.com. Or you guys can go to the link tree and there is a submission form for that, which is about three tabs down. Uh, any encounters that you guys want to report, uh, I guess we'll have some back and forth once it happens, but I can keep it to myself. I can share it on the show. Uh, you could possibly be a guest on the show. Uh, you might even get featured in some of the books that I'm working on, or maybe I could even come and investigate it depending on where you're living at. But don't forget to report any encounter that you guys might have, be it small or big. I would absolutely love to hear about it. And if you guys want to get a hold of me for any other reason whatsoever, you guys can always get a hold of me through Inquiries of Our Reality Podcast at Outlook.com or through social media. Or you guys can go to the link tree, fill the submission form, and that will go directly to my email. And uh, I do respond to every single message that I get. So make sure you guys check your spam and junk folders. Make sure not gets missed in the process because more often than not, it seems like a lot of my messages tend to go that way. And uh, everything that I mentioned is all available on the link tree, which is available down in the show description. And with that... Hope you guys enjoyed the conversation and I'll catch you on the next one. Have a good night, everybody. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park When you visit Arizona, time is measured in moments, not minutes. Like the moment your work stress disappears as you kayak through the canyons. Or the moment you discover the life-changing effects of prickly pear chocolate. But nothing beats the moment you see the Grand Canyon for the very first time. Visit a new state of mind. Learn more at hereyouareaz.com. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. 
And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.